Scripture reading tonight is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10, page 1020 in the Pew Bible. But if we walk in the light as he is, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Good evening. And good evening to everybody that's joining us on live stream this evening. So I heard from the AV room people that we had something like 160 people tuned in, 160 individual screens, a lot more than that actually watching those screens, preachers count, you know, uh, this morning. And not only that, but about 20 or so were tuned in on our Facebook feed. And so um, that's, that's way higher than the numbers that we typically would have because of the circumstances that we're facing. We're glad that you're here tonight if you're here with us. And especially if you're tuned in on live stream, we're glad that you're with us as well. There's a lot that we need to keep in our prayers. I have a suggestion. One suggestion I have is that maybe you go home and make a prayer list a list of concerns and a list of people that you want to keep and remember in your prayers and especially those that you know are in a special time of need. Maybe they've lost a loved one, maybe they've been sick, but go home and make a list. I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul had a list. I'm just absolutely convinced of it. He doesn't say that, but when he says to people over and over, I keep you in my prayers always, and when you read his, his list, like at the end of the book of Romans, he knew people's names and he thought about congregations that he'd worked with and what they were going through. I believe he had a list. And that when he went to God in prayer on a daily basis, that he pulled those lists out in front of him and he prayed through those lists and talked about to God the things that were on his heart and the things that he wanted to keep on his mind. And so, as you think about how am I going to navigate spiritually the days ahead? How am I going to deal with so many things going on that concern me and concern my family, concern my loved ones, concern God's people? Make a list. And that will help you to keep things before the Lord and keep things on your heart as well that are important. Last week we began a, a sermon series that we're going to continue, a five-part series. And the question we're answering is, can we know that we're saved? That's a really important question. Is it possible for a Christian to know that he's saved? A lot of times people have the idea that if we're saved, we're barely saved. That there's no assurance that a Christian can have. We just have to hope for the best and do the best we can, but we really can't know. Last week, we looked at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 in some detail and how the Bible says that we can know that we have eternal life because of what Jesus has done and because of what is written in his word. And when we're lacking assurance, when we're wanting to know, am I really in a right relationship with God? What matters is what's written in God's word and what has Jesus done for me and have I put my trust and my confidence in him can we know we're saved this evening I'd like for us to take the study a little bit different direction 
I'd like for us to spend some time tonight talking about why it is that people struggle with this question. What are some factors that cause people to really wonder about their salvation and what can we be aware of and what can we do about those factors that are there in our lives, are present in our lives? Maybe you've already got your Bible open to 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, but just notice for a few moments with me as we introduce the study tonight, notice what John says. In 1 John 1, verses 7 and 8, John says to Christians now, if we walk in the light, that is a lifestyle phrase. He's talking about the way we live our lives. If our lives are in accordance with the light, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, he had just said. And so am I living a lifestyle that demonstrates that I'm a Christian, that I am a believer in God, that I'm a follower of him? Does my lifestyle show that? He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's saying, can people see that you care, that you really deep down inside, you want to be a Christian more than anything else? Are you walking in the light? And he says, if you are, as he is in the light, then two consequences. First of all, there is horizontal fellowship with the people around that are of like precious faith. We have fellowship with one another. And consequence number two, if we walk in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so John is writing about assurance. That's what he said his book is about, 1 John 5, 13. And he says it's about walking in the light. It's about living the Christian lifestyle. It's about my pattern of life reflecting that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. John goes on in verse 8 to say this. Pay attention, Christian. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You're lying to yourself. If you say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sometimes it's easy for Christians to forget, to not really reflect on the fact that there is sin in our lives. And it's easy for us to kind of overlook things that are habitual and sinful behaviors. We can even become comfortable with those things. John says living the Christian life is about saying we have sin in our lives and we need Jesus Christ to cleanse us from that sin. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, what am I supposed to do when I recognize that sin in my life? I'm supposed to confess that sin. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one more time in verse 10, John reminds us, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What I get from that passage is that a Christian who is walking in the light is still going to struggle with some things. A Christian who really wants to follow Jesus is still going to have some things that are present in his life that are not pleasing to God. And we're going to need to continually come back to the Lord and to confess the sin that's in our lives and believe and to trust that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's painting a picture in 1 John 1, 7 through 10 of what it means to live with the reality of sin even though we're disciples of Jesus Christ. And that can be puzzling for people. That can be discouraging sometimes for people. Five points in our lesson, five points in our study this evening. 
I want us to think about why it is that Christians struggle so much with assurance. John tells us we have assurance. If we're walking in the light, Jesus cleanses us from our sin. We have fellowship with one another. He's faithful and just to forgive our sin when we, when we confess it. So why is it that we sometimes don't feel like we don't feel like we have assurance? Why does that happen? Five reasons, five thoughts this evening. Thought number one is this. Some people struggle with sin because of their personal sin. Because they're seeing it in their lives and they're recognizing it and they, they continue to struggle with a sin, with a sinful behavior, with a sinful habit. I am convinced that every Christian has a habit, at least one, that they need to be struggling with. I'm convinced that that's true. That we have a habit of some kind. Maybe it's the fact that we gossip and slander. Maybe it's the fact that we're doing something in secret and we don't think anybody knows about, but God knows. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, that temptation in our lives, it persists. You know, sometimes I think that people become Christians and maybe we forget that temptation continues in a Christian's life. Just because I was immersed for the remission of my sins does not mean that the devil leaves me alone. Quite the contrary. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible teaches that Satan left Jesus after he attempted him. But it goes on to say in Luke 8, 13, he left him until a more opportune time. And James talks to Christians and says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christians need to continue to remember that temptation persists in our lives. And not only that, but Christians need to remember that even though we've obeyed the gospel, there are still going to be areas in which we fall short. There are still going to be sins that we struggle with. Romans 3.23 is often quoted to, to talk about the sinfulness of man. And Romans 3.23 says... All have sinned, past tense, and fall short, present tense, of the glory of God. What that means is we'll never measure up and be perfect when it comes to our righteousness before God. We're never going to live perfectly, but we still need to strive against sin. And sin can be a discouragement in people's lives when they're trying to walk in the light. We also need to remember as Christians that when we're talking about transformation, when we become a Christian, God wants to transform us into the image of his son. And that's a long process. It takes years. It takes decades. And sometimes we struggle with a habit or we struggle with a problem in our lives. And all we can do is cast ourselves upon the mercy of God and ask for forgiveness over and over and over again. What did John say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. Transformation's a long process. Paul said, even after years of being an apostle and a disciple, I do not count myself yet to have attained. I press on. You and I, we have not yet attained either. We press on. What do I need to remember as a Christian about sin? I need to remember that being poor in spirit is an ongoing requirement for a disciple. Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount with that phrase in Matthew 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit is not just somebody who is about to become a disciple. Being poor in spirit is for those who have become disciples. We realize that without Jesus Christ, without the salvation that he provides, we are utterly and completely lost. 
personal sin causes people to wonder about their assurance. We can confess and we can know that he's faithful and just to forgive those who are walking in the light. Secondly, this evening, why do people sometimes struggle with this question of assurance? We struggle, secondly, because sometimes we're very disappointed in our brethren. Think about it. The church is supposed to be, ideally, this group of people who love the, love the Lord and love each other, and that's evident in everything they say and think and do, but that's not always the reality. And sometimes because I'm disappointed or discouraged by my brethren, sometimes that can cause me to question, is salvation really something that we possess? Is it something that we can know? Think about it. When we become Christians, I remember being a younger man and looking up and really highly respecting some others. But if you look at people long enough, And if you think about and watch them long enough, you'll find that everybody, the people that you respect, the people that you esteem highly, everybody, we're only human. We have feet of clay, all of us. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, the Bible says that Paul went to Antioch and he saw Peter and even Barnabas, it says, refusing to eat with Gentile Christians. Why were they doing that? They were, they were worried about what somebody else thought of them. But imagine what that did to the church. Here are Peter and Barnabas, two highly esteemed Christians, and they're not acting the way they should. Disappointment can cause us to question our assurance. It's also possible, secondly, for brethren to mistreat us. The Bible speaks about Diotrephes, who love to have the preeminence. Jesus talked about and warned against causing one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Sometimes Christians can cause other Christians to be discouraged, can mistreat them. It happens. Sometimes brethren are divisive or even subversive, undermining authority, going against that which is right and that which has been established by God. Titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 warns us to reject a divisive man after a first and second warning. We need to think about the consequences of our actions. We could well be discouraging someone else by the way that we behave. And sometimes a person might even depart from the Lord and by doing that hurt others. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I've always been fascinated that Paul didn't say, Demas has forsaken the Lord, having loved this present world. That's not what he said. He said, Demas has forsaken me. Paul took this personally. Demas was a friend and a co-worker, somebody that Paul trusted and could count on, and Demas decided that there was something he loved more than Jesus Christ and his servant, Paul. It can be discouraging. And sometimes we struggle with assurance because of these kinds of activities, behaviors among our brethren. I bring in these to your attention this evening because sometimes it's good to know exactly what's working against us when it comes to this question of assurance. Can I know I'm saved? Can I know I'm in a right relationship with God? Well, what are some of the things that cause people to question that? Number three, We can be discouraged by the world. We can be discouraged by the world. The world is a discouraging place. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, that the cares of this world and worries can choke the Word of God out of our lives. This morning we talked about how there are a lot of things to be concerned about, it seems. A lot of things going on around us. Life is not normal right now for any of us. And it's a danger that we will allow the cares and the obsessions and the worries of the day to keep us from what's most important. What has God said? What does his word teach? Cares and worries can choke the word out of our lives because of the world. Not only that, some people are hostile to godliness. In 1 Peter 4, verses 4 through 6, Peter reminds his brethren of how they used to live. They used to live like the Gentiles, and they used to participate with them in all kinds of ungodly activities. But now that they've become Christians, they're not living that way anymore. And Peter says they think it's strange that you don't follow them in the same flood of dissipation. That's the terminology he uses. You don't follow them in the lifestyle they're living. And they think you're strange, and they speak evil of you because of it. There are a lot of us. I've talked to a lot of you. You have family members. You have loved ones who don't understand. They don't understand what it means to be a Christian. They don't understand why you've made the decisions and why you continually make the choices that you do. That can be discouraging. People are hostile to godliness. Not only that, we might question our salvation because we allow some worldly friendships to influence us negatively. I believe with all my heart we ought to have friends who are not Christians. I really believe that Christians need to seek out those kinds of relationships for the reason and the purpose of sharing Jesus Christ with those who need him. But I'll say this, we need to assess honestly in our lives our friendships with people who are not Christians and we need to ask this question. Who is influencing whom? Because in our relationships, somebody is being influenced. Who is influencing whom? In some of our relationships, we allow people who are of the world to influence us to do that which we know is wrong and wicked. That can cause us to question salvation, legitimately so. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, Paul says, evil companions corrupt, defile good morals. Christians need to think about our relationships with others. Next, why do people sometimes question their salvation? Why do people sometimes struggle with this question of assurance? Persistent troubles in our lives. Troubles that come and do not leave. They, they set up shop and they make themselves at home in our lives and they won't go away. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Look at verses 2 through 4. James is going to write a very practical book to Christians. James chapter 1. And he's got a lot to say about faith and what it looks like. And it's very where the rubber meets the road kind of a book. But in James chapter 1, the very first thing he says after greeting his brethren is that they're going to have trouble. He says in James 1 verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say if you encounter various trials. Count it all joy when you do. 
And various means all shapes and sizes, all kinds, every variety. Count it as a joyful thing. He goes on to say in verses 3 and 4 that trials can mold us and shape us and help us to become more mature in Christ. And that's why Christians ought to rejoice in trials because they can help us to become more like Jesus Christ, more patient, more mature. But that doesn't mean they're easy. That doesn't mean that they're enjoyable. We can be discouraged by the intensity of our troubles. This is really intense. It's really severe. It's really acute. We can be discouraged by the frequency of our troubles. Just when you think one has passed away, one, one trouble is gone, here comes a new one. Or here comes a flood of new ones. We can be discouraged as Christian by the variety of troubles that we face. Financial, health-wise, relational, we can be discouraged by the variety of troubles that we face. And not only that, we can be discouraged by the duration. Sometimes they go on and on and on and on. And we start to wonder, does God care about me? Does God love me? If he did, why would this happen to me? Why is this going on in my life? Why are these things taking place? These things cause people to question their assurance, question their salvation. I say again, our assurance has got to be founded not on life experience, but upon what is written in the Bible. What God has said, that's where our assurance comes from. Despite the troubles we face, their frequency, their variety, their intensity, what has God said? And can I trust his word? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Peter said, Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that's to come upon you as if some strange thing happened to you. This is something that is part of the Christian life, Peter says. And it's helping to make us more like Christ. Persistent troubles can cause us to question our assurance. And then this, finally. What can cause people to question or struggle with this question of assurance? A lack of healthy teaching. Think about it. All of us eat a variety of foods. If you only ate from one food group, if you only ate bread all the time, never anything else, you could live for a while but you wouldn't necessarily be all that healthy. If you only ate red meat all the time, you could live for a while, but you wouldn't necessarily be healthy. It takes a variety, doesn't it? To be balanced, to have all the nutri nutrients and vitamins and minerals that we need. The same thing is true of teaching from God's Word. We need a steady and a balanced diet of all that the Lord has said. In Acts 20, verse 27, Paul told his brethren, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what people need today. We need a balanced diet of what God's word has to say. Emphasizing the principles that the Bible emphasizes, bringing forth the truths that the Bible reveals, we need that kind of diet. And if we don't have that kind of diet, it can cause us very easily to question Am I in a right relationship with God? Can I know that I'm saved? We have those questions because sometimes we don't eat spiritually a balanced diet. 
in a balanced diet of God's Word, there must be, of necessity, the exposure of error. It is essential. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, he says, with all long-suffering and teaching. Part of what a preacher and a teacher has to do is to expose that which is false. But if that's all a preacher or teacher does, he's not giving God's people a balanced diet. Notice this, denouncing sin. We've got to be clear about what sin is and what sin does. We've got to be clear about why people are tempted to sin. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is a diagnostic passage and it shows us what the works of the flesh are. Paul lists in graphic detail what it means to live a sinful life. And we've got to talk about those things and what they mean and what they do to people's lives and what the Bible has to say about the fate of those who practice those things. We have to. But a steady diet of nothing but denouncing sin is going to cause people to struggle with the question of assurance. We need in our teaching and our preaching to hear about the love of God, the grace of God, and the forgiveness of God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 is one of the most magnificent passages anywhere in the Bible on those subjects. How God, who is rich in mercy for our sakes, saved us from our sin. People need to hear about what God wants to do in their lives, about how God loves them and God cares for them and God wants to forgive them. They have to hear about those things. But if we don't spend time denouncing and talking about sin and what it is, and if we don't spend time exposing error, and all we do is talk about love and forgiveness, never getting very specific about what those things mean in a practical way in our lives, it's not a very balanced spiritual diet. We need to talk about things like assurance of salvation. The Bible puts an exclamation point where so many people put a question mark. 1 John 5, 13, I've written these things that we may know that we have eternal life. God says you can know. God says it's possible for us to be assured that we are in a right relationship with him. And part of our teaching needs to emphasize that principle as well. God's people need a balanced spiritual diet. And when that happens, not only will we be willing to look at our lives and examine and see, I still struggle with sin and I still need the forgiveness and the cleansing that only Jesus can provide, but I'll also see that God loves me and is faithful and just to forgive me and cares about me so much that he will wipe my sins away by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. When we hear all of God's Word, we can have the assurance that God's Word provides. Can we know we're saved? Absolutely. My question for you tonight is this. Do you know that you're saved? Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed that He is the answer to sin? There's no other way to God but through Him. Are you willing to repent of that sin, to confess His name, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. When we're baptized, we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 compares baptism to what Noah did in the flood. The water delivered Noah and his family from an unclean world into a new relationship, one that had been cleansed from sin. And the waters of baptism deliver us from uncleanness to righteousness, the appeal of a conscience toward God. Maybe you need to be baptized tonight. If you're ready to make that decision or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and sing this song of invitation.